Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Some Random Thoughts. I'm your host, Ryan Wolkowski. On the program today, I have a very special guest and a good friend, Cortland Coffey. Cortland, how are you? Thank you so much for being on. I'm doing well. It's so good to be here. And uh, yeah, I haven't I haven't done a ton of podcasts as a guest. So Yay. yeah, this is new. I'm so, yes. So for those of you who don't know, Cortland is usually on the other side of the mic. He's got a really great podcast called Thereafter. Yep, that is correct. And um, he has had some really dope guests on his podcast. You guys have to go check him out. He is a he is a listen for me right now. He is like right at the top of my playlist. So anytime I'm driving, when I got to go to work, got to do stuff, I'm listening to all of this. And like I said, he's had amazing guests. So for him to be on the program, he's just such a good guy for even yeah, entertaining dude, being on here. And so I'm just I'm so, so excited. excited. I'm just so excited. You get to be on the other side of the mic. I get to ask the questions and kind of lead the discussion. You just riff off whatever. So anyway, Portland on the program today, I'm so excited uh, to set this up for our listeners. Um, we are recording an episode. It's called a revisit episode actually for me. So what we're doing is we're revisiting um, an episode I did in season one. And that episode we're doing is perception and reality. So I did an episode on perception and reality in season one, episode three. And so that's what um, we're going to be talking about is Cortland's thoughts, perspectives, ideas about what perception is, what reality is, and kind of all the myriad of things that those conversations flow into. So if you listen to the season one episode, I was a rambler on that episode. Usually my episodes are a little bit more coherent and a little have a little bit of a structure, but that episode was just like, I was talking about YouTube, but then I was talking about politics, but I'm talking about deconstruction and I'm talking about this, I'm talking about that. And so, you know, Cortland, what's great about Cortland is that he can kind of talk about anything and he loves to have conversations about anything. Like he's just an open book. And so I'm a talker, you're a talker. And so this is <laughs> going to be perfect because this conversation can go any which way. And if anyone's going to be able to handle that topsy turvy sideways thing, it'd be you. So, um, so thank you again for having me, uh, having me, you, me having you on the, uh, on the program. And so, yeah, I'm really excited and giddy. That's why I'm like nervous guys. Um, so Cortland, first of all, uh, let's just jump right on into the most heady question I can give you possible, which is, does what we believe about the world match up to how the world really is? So basically how do you, operate in this world because it's hard sometimes for us to really get a sense of grounding and a sense of what is right what is wrong or what is good what is not good what is true what is false yeah so how do you make heads or tails of just existence and just moving through this world yeah i mean i think i you know honestly like it has been something that has changed for me over you know the years and as i've grown and and developed and you know come in and out of different contexts uh i think that that is a question that i am at this point probably not even that comfortable with saying this is how i do it like i could say like this is how i do it now at this point mm -hmm. um but i'm also I've, I've become more and more aware of how much that changes and how much that's going to change. Um, so I guess like, you know, going back to, to like where I come from, like the way I grew up, 
we were told I, I, I was grew up in a fundamentalist home, uh, fundamentalist Southern Baptist, okay. like my parents, my dad, especially my mom kind of just like goes with whatever my dad says. Yeah. And my dad is like a proud, you know, fundamentalist. Like that is not a derogatory term <laughs> oh, to him. Yeah. You know, right. he claims it. Uh, and so the context I was raised up in is you have, this very specific idea of truth and reality and it is specifically based in a very specific interpretation of the bible right and my my learning from an early age was based in that like so my understanding of science my understanding of you know the universe of everything was based in super uh biblical literalism and from that point forward, I have developed, changed, grown, gotten to a place where obviously uh, I'm no longer uh, a Christian, no longer uh, subscribe to these ideas, you know, that are kind of perpetuated by biblical literalist fundamentalists. Um, however, like, I think that, you know, there isn't necessarily, I think a lot of times growing up, I was pitted these two different, like, you know, uh, dualities, right. You have like biblical Christianity or you have science, right. And they, and they felt like these very dualistic kind of combating ideas. And since I've gotten outside of Christianity, I've realized like this, like science that was kind of put up against, you know, biblical Christianity or creationism or all these other things, uh, is not a single thing. There's lots of different ways to perceive of the world and the universe outside of just, christianity or just biblical literalism so so i don't know if that answers your question yeah (laughs) i could go into deeper uh and i'm sure we will right Um, but i would say that you know i have a i have a heightened awareness that i i don't know everything in Mm. terms of what is real (laughs) is the is the uncertainty like scary or is it more freeing for you to live in this kind of state of i don't know everything i'm uncertain about some things and I still have to kind of move through life with that kind of um that kind of base that kind of grounding I think I mean I think it 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 can be scary I think it was scary for me early on letting go of some of the you know the framework that I had gotten a lot of comfort from uh but I think honestly even before letting go of a lot of that it was still scary because even if Mm. you even if you adhere to a particular belief system, there's still a part of you. I, there was a part of me at least that was always like, yeah, but what if this is not real or what if this is not true? So there was, there, there was always fear. Um, and obviously growing up in a context where like being wrong about that shit, it means you're going to like burn forever. Right. There was even a higher level of like anxiety about being wrong. Um, so I think letting go of some of the, the doctrinal, you know, (laughs) ideas that I had that made it even more terrifying, uh, has allowed it to feel more free and more, uh, you know, uh, of a fun experience to be curious about the world, uh, and lean into that curiosity. That's one thing that I've noticed from a lot of people that share about their deconstruction stories is that before they deconstructed, it wasn't like they weren't giving themselves permission and they felt like the environment or the culture they were in didn't give them permission to be curious. Cause it seems like 
at least from like religious fundamentalist backgrounds, they almost kind of had the old saying of like curiosity kills the cat. Yeah. Except yeah. it was more like curiosity will send your butt to hell for all eternity. Yeah. But it was like the same kind of, like you said, it was this fear mongering of don't step outside of this very narrow construction that we formulated perfectly for you. And they would always prop it up as we're doing this to keep you safe. But really what it does is it perpetuates harm. So what was some of the harm that maybe you experienced in religious indoctrination? And what were some ways that you felt like you, or some things that you did to kind of untangle or dismantle some of the harm that, that happened in your life? Yeah, uh, I, think, I, I think probably the most harmful idea about what is real and what the universe is and was uh some of the most harmful ideas for me were the ideas that kept me from being able to be in relationship with other people mm. uh i think that a lot of the ideas that were perpetuated by you know the communities that i grew up in really put a barrier between me and people who had a different perspective because of that fear element. Uh, if somebody saw something differently than me, they were not just, you know, wrong, but they were actually a threat. Uh, they were a threat to my, you know, safety, to my security, to my uh, uh, belief system. And, and so I think in a lot of ways, the, the 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 barrier to actually having relationship with people who think differently than me was probably the most harmful byproduct of that way of thinking of this very rigid limited hyper focused conception of the world yeah. uh and also to some extent i think it was like uh it, it was limiting for me as myself because I, I didn't think I didn't feel the permission to be able to fully experience the world uh, and really process information that I was getting back, like mm. go out and genuinely and authentically experience the world right. and then process what I experienced because I was told what I should experience before I experienced it. Right. You're told what, sex is going to be before you have it you're told what yeah. drugs are going to do to you before you do them yeah so so there was this idea that like my conclusion about my life had really been drawn all already and therefore a lot of the like fulfillment and excitement and beauty that his life yeah. uh was yeah. like really stripped away uh, and so I think, I think both of those things preventing me from having good relationship with other people, uh, and then also preventing me from just experiencing and like enjoying the aspects of life that come from being a little bit more open to the experience. We, uh, are, ha we have Cortland coffee on the program right now. If you guys are just tuning in, um, somehow like in the middle of a podcast i just wanted to see if people ever skip forward like a few minutes but anyway yep. whatever i'm saying was boring you <laughs> we're getting to the good shit right now so stop right here i'm like that stupid old like newscaster that's like pretends to have to have segments and breaks on a on a 
on a program. Um, but no, um, I resonate a lot with what you said, uh, Cortland, because I came from a similar background, um, came from like an independent fundamentalist Baptist background, then went into like a Southern Baptist background, and then was actually in the Southern Baptist uh, church for a long time, including being ordained as a Southern Baptist minister um, before going through my deconstruction process. And so a lot of what you said is absolutely true. And I experienced those similar things as well. Um, but the one thing that I think that really resonated with, with me is what you said, like the biggest harm that you really felt like, and there was a lot of harm, but the biggest one was just the way you were able to interact with people was severely um, handicapped, for lack of a better word. And then it's really just trying to engage with people in very authentic and real and genuine ways. And then being in a state where you could be open-minded enough to receive information that was once either information you shunned or you didn't allow to process and to critically think through. Um, what were some of the other things that you struggled with maybe outside of religion when it came to kind of the way of thinking that you inhabited? So, you know, obviously religious indoctrination, especially in very fundamentalist um, strains of faith, severely hamper people's ability to critically think, but we know that it doesn't just affect the way we view God or the supernatural or the afterlife or all these existential questions, but it affects us on the ground. It affects us, like you said, relationally. It affects the way we think about politics and society and culture and and government and all these other stuff. So like, what are some other just random things that you can think of that you were like, wow, like before I was able to really get good logic and reasoning and critical thinking skills, I thought some like really fucked up stuff and this is what it was. Like, so can you think of just any <laughs> off the top of your head that you were like, wow, I can't believe I even thought that way, but thank God I, or thank not God, whatever. Yeah, thank, thank you, whatever. <laughs> uh, the, the, uh, that you don't think that thinking. way anymore. Um, I still have that Christianese thing and it bugs the hell out of me. It's been years oh, yeah. and I still have to deal with that. Hashtag blessed. I, I, I deal with it too. <laughs> thank you. Uh, it, it, I was just, I was just on a, a call with somebody and I was just like, preach, you know, I was just like, <laughs> I was getting into it. Uh, so yeah, I still have that too. I think, you know, I, I, I think honestly, like one of the things that has really expanded my mind outside and it, it, it connects to my religious indoctrination. Um, I mean, so much of my life, like I said, you know, was, embedded in religion uh okay. from an early age but i i think one of the things that that i've really come to like realize is a bigger cultural issue beyond just you know christianity it it definitely gets it has influence from christianity from colonialism from you know these different forces that uh have you know kind of normalized one thing and you know uh obfuscated if that's the right word or or ostracized other things mm. um and right. science has really helped like for my understanding of specifically you know gender norms and like gender reality uh mm. sexuality uh in terms of how we relate as a society with these prescribed ideas about gender uh, I think that uh, uh, learning a lot of the like actual science and biology and and leaning into the fact that like evolution is actually uh, a, a 
a real thing that impacts how we perceive right. how we operate as as human beings right yeah. that you know the evolution of our brains the evolution of our species has given us a lot of information if we're able to actually look back honestly and think about uh, how we've evolved, right? And that's helped me to gain a better understanding of my psychology, of my right. emotional yeah. state, of how I view my gender expression. Uh, and so I think that those things, while I was having a conversation uh, on Instagram with somebody this last week, and they have recently kind of deconstructed or deconverted, grew up in a similar space as I uh, was in, have uh, since then become, you know, aware a little bit more of their sexuality, have started to lean into, uh, you know, being, realizing that they're pansexual, realizing that they may be polyamorous, like, uh, wow. and yeah. this person was, you know, telling me like, I, I, I feel like to some extent, even though I've gotten outside of Christianity, there is still all of these cultural identities uh, that still make me feel like I'm not wanted, accepted, or okay. Wow. Even and, outside of religion, he still feels... Yeah, even outside way. of religion, okay. still feeling like the culture at large still has a lot of these, you know, well, this is what a man is supposed to be, and this is what a right. woman's supposed to be. Okay. This is what a marriage is supposed to be. Okay. We don't realize so much of that uh, narrative, so much of that prescriptive narrative doesn't just come from religion. Obviously, it's impacted by religion, but it also, you know, just comes from being a part of Western society as a whole that likes to have a very clear uh, uh, dualistic viewpoint on some of these issues. And when we really look at science, when we really look at uh, you know evolutionary biology, when we really look at uh, uh, psychology, when we look at brain chemistry, when we look at these other different things that impact those things, outside of this cultural pressure to be a certain way, we realize that there's so much more gray area. There's so much more fluctuation between those things and society in general, uh, even people who are not particularly religious are kind of told like, this is, this is what is, you know, I, I remember, you know, I'm getting a little rambly here, but like, I remember being taught history in a certain way growing up in growing up in the Midwest, uh, you know, our history curriculum was very white and very uh, whitewashed. <laughs> it was it was very yeah. inaccurate. You know, there was yeah. so many things that then, you know, developing a little bit more critical thinking and starting to go like, okay, like, what are, you know, people of color, what are indigenous people saying about the history? What do they have to say? And realizing their history and our history didn't line up. Right. And that's, you know, like, that's something that we have to like begin to really wrestle with is like, what were the, you know, what are the powers, you know, at B that want us to believe this particular narrative, even though it really doesn't line up. And when you look at it under a critical lens and that impacts politics, it impacts culture. Um, yeah. It impacts a lot of things outside of just religion. And that 
is something that is so alarming to me is that a lot of times as a, you know, a former Christian, now like agnostic atheist, you know, it's just so convenient for me, I guess, to crap on religion so many times for all the perceived ills of society. And yet when you have this very enlightening conversation with your friend that you just mentioned and your friend goes, it's not like just religion. Like I, I've, I'm getting myself out of that. And yet I'm still being like forced to have to conform to certain standards that don't really align with my authentic self. And he, and, and your friend is saying, this is not because of religion. This is now moved on into just general cultural norms. Yeah. It makes me have to pause and go, okay, Ryan, like, gotta stop crapping on religion sometimes and you gotta start looking at the pervasiveness i guess of just how lots of western norms are rooted yes partly in like religious puritanical belief systems but then also the discounting of like indigenous and eastern and african and other um other ways of conceptualizing the world and conceptualizing how we operate as humans when we just completely discard those perspectives because we feel like the white Eurocentric perspective that later colonized the Americas is the only right perspective. You're right, it, it go, there's some religious underpinnings to that, but it also moves outside of that. It, 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 it moves, it, it just becomes like a wildfire that just kind of like, per, you know, eats up everything and consumes everything and now we're permeated in this and that's the thing for me too Cortland is that honestly I've done so much growth over just the past few years because even if I, I was as I was deconstructing my faith I think if I was really honest with myself I would have to say you still believed in a lot of cultural bullshit like a lot of cultural norms that were very convenient to you because you are the most straight white cis man on the planet and I make yeah. fun of myself like that's the whole point of my show is that I'm this straight white cis person having a podcast about random thoughts about everything which was like for me kind of a comedic thing at first kind of to say like I'm going to be stepping in some stuff because I'm going to be saying things that might offend people but at the same time I think what it's also done you know, jokes aside, what it's also done is it's helped me to really do my research before I start putting some, you know, voice to recording and this stuff is going to like live on the internet forever. So I want to make sure I know what I'm talking about. And I'm not saying I always do. I still get things wrong. Yeah. But I didn't realize like how much like normative BS I was still believing in. Like, for yeah. example, like it was still hard for me to believe in uh, outside of monogamous marriage. I was like, okay, obviously with like a man, a woman, a man and a man, a woman, a woman, non two non nine non-binary people didn't, that didn't matter to me. But when it moved into the whole like polyamorous or, you know, um, like, you know, throuples and, 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 and those type of relationships, I was still like being closed-minded for no reason really, except yeah. that I had this ingrained cultural norm that told me, more than two people in a marriage relationship is wrong. Yeah. And so that's just one example of me having to deal with my own BS still that I'm not no longer deriving from religion because I've kind of like, you know, discarded religion more or less. It's now it's just the cultural stuff, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And and I and I share that experience too. I think 
you know, one of the things that's been most helpful in unlearning a lot of that has been diving into and not to like get like too off uh, uh, shoots, but like something that I've been going back. Are, are you familiar, Ryan, at all with uh, Carlo Rovelli? He's no. a, uh, so he's an Italian uh, theoretical quantum physicist. Um, Definitely not then. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> I and and like I'm a high school dropout with like no college education. So uh I'm gonna talk about all this stuff just based on what I've been That able doesn't to mean read. anything. You could still be much smarter than me about that <laughs> stuff just because you were, you know, not a, you didn't go to college and stuff. Like I don't uh, I don't, sure. I don't, I don't hold that up. Uh, I just as, want to qualify that before I talk about <laughs> theoretical quantum physics. I'm uh, just, just as I don't know anything about theoretical quantum physics. <laughs> so you're, I'm just going to sit here and go, mm -hmm, yes. Uh, quantum, yeah. That's good stuff. Well, it, it, like, like I think quantum physics and also cosmology are two fields of study that have like opened my mind more than anything else to different ways of thinking okay. um, and getting my head out of this very, very literalistic, dualistic mm. uh, uh, way in which I think it wasn't even what I think that I began to deconstruct or dissect. It was how I thought, right? Like That's there's, good. there's yep. a base issue with like how I am thinking. Um, and so I've been revisiting, uh, he has a book uh, called The Order of Time. And it's talking about time, right? And how time is, you know, this relative thing uh, in, you know, from a, from a physics level, uh, you know, if, if you're flying in an airplane and moving at a certain speed or you're stationary at sea level or below sea level, uh, time moves at different speeds. Mm. <laughs> like, like, like you will literally have more time uh, in the planes than living at altitude, technically, right? Time moves faster at altitude. Uh, time moves slower at sea level or below okay. sea level, right? Okay. So yep. even this like very base thing that we think is a standard, uh, uh, you know, I, I hear all the time when I talk about relativism, my favorite, you know, uh, my, the people's favorite response is, well, like, there are some things that are absolutely true. It's like gravity, you know, <laughs> and it's like, well, gravity is <laughs> not absolutely true. Like, if you go to the moon, gravity is very different, right? right? Like, 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 gravity is still subjective, like it's still relational to the context of what we're talking about. Uh, you know, time is like, you know, they, they, they say, like, you know, time is a constant time is like a thing that is an absolute. No, it's not. Like, it's not at all. Like, when you really look at it, uh, time is, is, is a mystery. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. it's astounding uh, how we perceive these things about our existence as human beings, being very finite, being very limited to a particular perspective. Uh, and then we assume that we have some kind of monopoly on all perception. Um, and this kind of ties into like, you know, your theme of this episode in terms yeah. of perception of reality. Right. Yeah. I mean, there are there are spectrums of light that the human eye can't see, right? We have no concept of what the world actually looks like if you consider the spectrums of light that are unvisible from the human eye, right? Uh, you have other animals who have limited uh, uh, less spectrums of light that they can see. 
and their perspectives yeah. are limited. And so realizing like we as human beings, as a finite species of a tiny little planet in a giant cosmos, uh, have any type of like uh, authority to say, this is the way the universe works, go fuck yourself. Like there's no way that, that, that we can know all that. And so then I feel like when you really get into uh, understanding that, then you can begin to be curious with humility. And, and I, I think that just summarizes science really well. It's been this on the ongoing curiosity with humility because scientists have to be humble because as they go through, as they do discoveries and have to go through the scientific method and then part of um, research is doing peer review. And so if your peers are telling you like, uh, I think you missed it here, or I think this doesn't add up here, or this isn't consistent here. And, you know, it might be observable, but it, not, it might not be testable. It might be testable, but it might not be repeatable. You know, so it's all of these things, I think, give the true scientist a sense of, of humility, knowing that at any time they could be wrong about something. But I think that's what drives the curiosity is this humility drives your curiosity further into, okay, I'm going to study and I'm going to know as much as I can. And then I'm not going to stop because even when I think I know something, there could be another discovery right around the corner that might completely undo what I once thought. But I think even if you're not a scientist, if even if you're just like someone like me or you, just the everyday human, if, if the everyday human could continue to live, like, as you say, with curiosity and um, humility. Yeah. I mean, the world would be so much more harmonious because we wouldn't be crapping on each other and like killing each other and doing things because we feel like we're absolutely right about something and somebody's absolutely wrong about something. So we got to like destroy this other person because it doesn't align with what we believe, but then we could look for a common ground, which I feel like common ground is just the essence of humanity. What makes us human? What are the things that we as humans all need? And if we could find those things and, and build a society upon that, that that would be better. And that kind of leads me to part of the discussion where I talk a little bit about postmodernism and how growing up, um, you know, I was always told whether it was in the Christian school I went to or Bible college or seminary or just in the church, I was always told, you know, you got to stay away from modernism and postmodernism because those people are all like demon spewing, oh, yeah. fire breathing heretics that will completely like just dismantle everything and, and send you to hell. And yet, postmodernism um and i i studied postmodern christianity uh, or postmodern theology a little bit and yeah. that stuff opened up my eyes more than anything else because postmodernism showed me that exactly what you were saying the more we discover about perception and reality and humanity and the universe and how things work the more things are relativistic than they are absolute yeah that was such a freeing and scaring concept for me to accept was that everything really is relative right because like, like you said people want to say things like space and time and matter and all these things are all absolute they're concrete they can't be disputed it's all said and done and yet you're like well if you just study like you said yeah. <laughs> quantum physics and cosmology and all these things you'll start realizing that that's not true yeah and i think it's the same for and okay 
So for example, Cortland on Twitter one time, I was feeling snarky and yeah. I so wanted and I, on yeah. Twitter, <laughs> and I was saying I was just getting really, really frustrated with a lot of the Thea bros and other people that were just like so absolutely certain about things about their religion. And so I went ahead and I just like did a tweet that said like religion is a, is a social construct. And you would have thought I, you would have thought I did like the worst thing in the world. And I was getting just like dumped upon. I had a lot of support too. And I was getting dumped upon by a lot of people that were just like, oh no, religion's not a social construct. Religion is reality. And religion is, uh, and I'm like, religion is not reality. Like religion, <laughs> like, I don't care what you feel about religion. If you are like a deeply religious devout person, as long as you are like a good human being, like great, you know what I mean? But don't give me that BS that like religion is reality. First of all, there's lots of different religions. They all conflict with each other and they all can't be right about everything. And a lot of, uh, and a lot of religions can be wrong about stuff. So don't say that religion's reality. It's not, it's a, it's a construct. It's a construct like everything else. Like, okay, so for example, I did another tweet on the same vein, uh, morality is a social construct. You would have thought, oh yeah, I was like the devil incarnate for suggesting yeah. that like morality is relative, and it's not absolute, or yeah. it's not, ob or it's it's not objective. You know, it's 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 relative. And I'm like, if you study like sociology and you study sci and philosophy and how morality is derived, how in the world do you think that morality is like a universal reality where not it, it, <laughs> we can't even agree on almost anything when it comes to morality? Yeah. Um, so just so like, how you, have you dealt with like maybe detractors or people just like crapping on you because of your evolving beliefs about things? Like, do you still have conversations with family members or friends that don't agree the way you? As little as possible. As little as possible. Okay. <laughs> For your own I mean, mental health, I'm assuming yeah. or okay. Um, it, I mean, it just depends. I feel like there are some people that are, you know, open to having an actual conversation, but I feel like you know, I, I talked and I don't know if 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 you uh, heard this episode when I was talking with Micah J. Murray, we were, we were mm. shitting on Ken Ham a little bit. But like, you know, Ken Ham, you know, who's got the the uh, creation museum yep. and I don't know where it is, Arkansas or something, probably. <laughs> I think but, it's Kentucky or something. It, I don't oh, yeah, remember. It's, yeah. It's no in the offense. South. It's in the South. Just, just to like give you the obvious answer of where something <laughs> like that would be in the United States, it's in yeah. the South. So. And he's he's like a like a, I think he has uh quite possibly like a master's degree in like uh you know I don't know geology or something. Yeah, I mean, I forget. He's, he's he is educated in in, in smart guy about rocks, right? right? Yeah. Like or whatever. But like if your base level assumption is the earth is, you know, 6,000 years old, then we have very limited room to have much conversation after that. Right. Like, unless you are willing to let go of some of your base level assumptions about, so like about, about the universe, about reality. Um, and it, then the conversation gets circular really fast. Yeah. And there's almost no way past that. You really have to like, be willing to let go of your base level assumptions to be able to really have any type of productive conversation. Uh, and yeah. so for some people that you come, you know, into contact with, <laughs> Twitter is like full of base level assumptions. Like, correct. Uh, yep. 
and so and so like yeah i mean like there are people you just are never going to convince um hopefully some people will begin to through their own experience begin to question how they are coming to those conclusions right like and maybe if somebody goes through that circle enough times of well it is this way because i believe it because the bible says it and the bible's right because i believe it because i you know because the bible says it or whatever maybe they'll like at some point hop off the track and go like okay this this is not working um but some people live in that cycle forever and they're never going to get off <laughs> absolutely it's um it's one of the frustrating frustrating things with me because i have lots of family still that i love dearly um, but we just don't think the same. And when you try to have conversation, some of them can't have a conversation. And it doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to convince them of your position or vice versa, but they can at least like roll with you a little bit. They can at least kind of like open up their mind just enough to be like, okay, let me, I'll entertain it. And then I'll just, but they still keep like their guard up. And then you just have some that are just like, you'll be stuck in a, like you said, in a circular conversation immediately. And it's, and you're never going to get out of it because they won't entertain looking at something differently. For me, what I've realized in my deconstruction was any person who attacked me and didn't attack my position automatically was shut down. Mm -hmm. So the most effective person ever to convinced me to look at something differently was the person who invited me to have a conversation and, uh, and and encouraged me to look at things differently but with like a curiosity and the way they did it was with grace and with respect and upholding my dignity not dehumanizing me yeah. so I think it's really funny when religious people some religious people not all obviously some religious people will just attack someone that doesn't agree with them especially like when religious people attack atheists and they'll just dehumanize them right off yeah. the get-go and it's like oh yeah great strategy bro like oh. yeah wait yeah go ahead and just dehumanize me because then that's really going to make me listen and really take you seriously and consider your position yeah. so I all think atheists times, uh are like murderers and they're cannibals or yeah you yeah, have we're all baby, these tropes we're baby killers and eaters <laughs> <clears throat> yeah um no it's it's ridiculous um but i think the christians that are willing to have conversations with people that are not like them especially atheists but the ones that are just charitable and respectful um i mean i'll give you a listen like i'll listen to your position um but you're gonna have to bring some evidence yeah and that was a big thing for me how important was in you trying to match your perception to reality as closely as possible how important was it how how important is evidence to you and what does evidence kind of look like anyway because a lot of people we have different definitions of evidence right um and different thresholds or standards for what something is true depending on it so how how um how does that look like for you and how does that affect your way of thinking yeah so so i think you know this kind of ties right into the last thing you were saying as well about like how i would approach going into conversations with people is similar to the way that I approach um, 
myself and my own thinking about any type of, you know, conclusion or idea. And, and, and that is trying to identify some of the very, very small and simple aspects of my conclusion and trying to ask myself questions about those things. Uh, and what I mean by that is like, you know, if we want to have a conversation with somebody else and I'll, I'll frame it this way, but this is the same way that I would kind of approach it with, you know, my own thought process with myself. Yeah. And we're going to talk about, you know, uh, creation versus evolution, or we're going to talk about uh, uh, human sexuality, or we're going to talk about morality, finding something really, really small and saying like how do you how do you arrive at this truth like beyond evolution let's say you know how, how do we how do we arrive at at uh uh the basic understanding of like genetics and what makes you have brown hair and me have blonde hair and somebody else have red hair uh and and uh, maybe that may lead into a conversation about DNA and then go, okay, well, what do we know about DNA and trying to break it down into really small, uh, uh, because I think when small subsections, because I think when we talk about bigger ideas, it's so much easier to bring in those assumptions, mm. right? Okay. When we can break it down into really small pieces and go like, okay, how do you perceive something as simple as like what color something is? What's going on in our eyes? What's going on with light? What's going on uh, that that makes me say this is green and you say this is blue? Uh, uh, how do we, you know, how do how do we determine that? Where does that come from? Where does that conclusion come from? Because I think if we get into the smaller pieces, it becomes more evident that uh, uh, there's a lot more variance. Mm. <laughs> and a lot more to know about what's going on under the yeah. surface of a conclusion. Um, and so I feel the same way about politics, right? When we want to talk about, you know, minimum wage, or we want to talk about economics, it's very yeah. easy to talk in these kind of broad, you know, strokes of like, you know, well, people on welfare are not paying their fair share, you know? Okay, well, let's, yeah. Let's talk about like some really microeconomic issue that impacts that and have a conversation there because if we can reduce it to the fewest amount of parts, we can have the most chance of maybe coming to some common ground. Um, and so I think that that was also my strategy uh, when I'm kind of dealing with how do I think about things is like, how can I break it down into some very small part that I can get very educated about uh, and understand it in its kind of smallest piece. Uh, and that not only gives me a better understanding of how I'm drawing conclusions farther up, but it also gives me a sense of complexity that hopefully inspires some level of humility. Wow. So I think that that's the strategy. Uh, well, that is going to be your wisdom moment for this episode. <laughs> Corlin's just gave a bunch of great tips in a matter of just minutes there about having good conversations. Um, the thing that always gets me is um, how you can take one situation. Let's say, for example, something happens in the news, you know, so some event in the news 
and you can have two people look at that and they can come to radically different conclusions. And yet we still have the same evidence in front of us. So it blows my mind and I still study like how people can have just wide varying interpretations of things, having the same thing in front of them. It's not like, let's say for example, it's a, a shark attack. Okay, so there's a shark attack on some major beach and attacks a 13 year old boy. The boy loses an arm. The boy gets rushed to the hospital. The boy survives. And let's say those are like the base facts. It's crazy to me how you can have two people that look at the same story and they, and it's not like I'm getting any more information than this other person's getting. And yet we can come to radically different conclusions about the five questions, right? Like the who, what, when, where, and why. So, so why do you think that is? Like, why do you think just in your experience and having conversations, because you've had plenty of conversations with many people, whether it's on yeah. a podcast or just in everyday life, how can people have such radically different conclusions to the same evidence that's in front of them that you have and that the other person has? I, I mean, I think it, 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 it plays right into the fact that when language in general is limited, right? Language relies on a lot of uh, contextual reference. Um, and again, like I don't, I don't have a lot of my own thoughts. Uh, everything I think has been kind of like gathered from other people, uh, you know. But I, I had a conversation uh, with uh, Jonathan Merritt, who wrote a book about language and about mm. God specifically, language about God. Um, and the type of research that he was looking at when he was writing that book was how our our native language affects not just how we speak about things but how we think about things um okay. and so a couple of the examples that he gave in that that book were about how languages like ours like english we use a uh, uh, directional language or or i guess uh i'm not gonna get the quite correct term but like we say to the right of this to the left of this yeah up from there down from there yeah. whereas certain aboriginal languages specifically this linguistic study was done in uh i believe australia with aboriginal uh folks in australia their languages and many languages throughout the world use cardinal direction when talking about direction so rather than saying to the left of this they would say uh to the i don't know my compass well what do they say to the west of this is that correct <laughs> don't, don't ask me i don't even know i don't <laughs> yeah, know north right? and south i know north and south um, i don't know left and right or so like west instead and east. of yeah exactly stay, uh, up from this we would say they would say they didn't have a word for uh uh left right you know up hmm. down their language was built around cardinal direction. And so when surveyed, these folks who spoke this language, they would survey people in English-speaking areas, and they would say, you know, point north, and maybe 10% of people could do it. People who spoke this Aboriginal language, probably 90% could do it, right? Because their language influenced how they perceived the world, mm. right? Because they speak in cardinal directions, their perception of cardinal directions was heightened. Um, in other languages where, uh, and I'm gonna get this wrong, but but I, I believe the, the example was possibly Japanese where you have a, a subject verb or, or a verb adjective 
um, and you don't necessarily have a, a proper pronoun associated with it or previous to it. So in English, I might say Ryan got in a car accident. Uh, in these languages, you would say there was a car accident, Ryan was injured. Mm. Uh, and so the way in which we said Ryan got in a car accident, we are associating blame or we're associating a causation with you as the proper pronoun in that in that uh, sentence. Whereas in the other language, we're saying that there was an event happened and something happened to you, but we're not necessarily associating causality wow. or blame wow. with you as the particular person. And so it changes the way we think about hearing that. If I say there was a car accident and Ryan was injured, I'm not instantly associating causality and fault to you as, as the proper pronoun in that sentence. Uh, if we say it the other way, English speakers are naturally inclined to put blame or fault upon whoever the person is in that sentence. Wow. So our language, the way that we talk about things impacts how we perceive and think about them. Um, and so I think that that is one of the major contributing factors to why people can hear the same thing said and draw vastly different conclusions because their framework for that language is different. Uh, and, and so literally they are hearing two different things. Uh, uh, because of the way that they perceive the language, um, because there's so much assumption that goes around what we're saying, uh, whether it's, you know, those things I just talked about, or it can even go into body language or tone, um, which can vary drastically between cultures, even within the United States, the tone in which we say things can be very different or send different messages depending on the type of English that you learned or naturally speak. Wow. That's wow. And that's, and that's I something say. I think that I think, well, I think the whole concept of language is, that, is something that most of us take for granted. We just feel like it's something that we don't think about a lot because we just assume that like, okay, the way I speak and the way I understand things automatically everyone else speaks and understands that way too. It's just something that doesn't cross my mind. And yet there are so many variables involved in language um, that miscommunication is super easy um, if we're not very intentional about defining terms, right? So that's just something that just is a really good reminder, I think, for all of us to remember that language has an impact and even the way we phrase things, even the way that we uh, use certain words to convey things can have a great impact, whether detrimental or beneficial, depending, which is just something just, uh, this is another thing that like we have to really wrestle with as humans. Um, well, we're going to wrap up, but Corlin, what I do is with every guest, I give you the last word. So what is just a, a, a bit of wisdom you'd like to share or encourage us or challenge us when it comes to having greater perception and greater correlation between our perception and reality? Just how do we become a better thinker, a better human? And, and just move in, in this world that we- uh, Big question for the end, right? Yeah, exactly. All right. Yep. Sum it all up. Yep. Uh, cool. Yeah. I, I you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's a trope and it is something that gets said a lot in terms of keeping an open mind. But I really like think that it is an underrated- uh, practice like or it's an underutilized practice to really truly keep 
an open mind and rather than i think that there's oftentimes a negative connotation it's like well i'm going to keep an open mind while i kind of still hold what i think in the back of my head right <laughs> so i can like do the polite thing and hear what you think but genuinely like open up your mind and get curious with the people that you disagree with um because even if your mind is not changed i believe that your perspective will be expanded uh and so rather than going into conversations with a goal to change the other person's mind or even to change your mind about it uh go into it with a goal to expand your perspective on whatever thing that you're talking about because uh, there's probably even from somebody who's very backwards in their thinking there's an aspect of their perspective that will help you in understanding what you think and definitely help you in understanding what somebody coming from that perspective thinks um, and will help you going into the next interaction or conversation. So thank you so much. Uh, so once again, Cortland Coffee with the Thereafter podcast. Uh, Cortland, uh, where where can um, the audience find you? So what's your social media? Any yeah. other places on the internet people can find you, look you so, up? So I am Cortland Coffee. I, I always joke that that name is uh, a blessing and a curse because <laughs> I am the only one and extremely Googleable. So I can never be like, oh, that's the other Cortland Coffee. <laughs> Uh, oh, look, I follow it the same way. I'm the only Ryan Mulkowski. There's no other. So yeah, I, I know how that feels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it's a cool thing. Uh, you'll find me. Uh, I think my MySpace uh, that says I'm a pastor still pops up like fifth on Google uh, when you when you Google search me. But uh, hold on, hold on. Okay. So <laughs> I don't utilize Portland's it anymore. MySpace to not uh, I don't even know how to log into it. I wish it would go away. <laughs> uh, but I am on all the platforms. Cortland Coffee, okay. my first name is just like portland with a c so c-o-r-t-l-a-n-d and then my last name uh if you're a green mile fan uh john coffee from the green mile is spelled the same way like the drink only spelled different c-o-f-f-e-y um and i am that on twitter instagram facebook uh and i have a a, a website that i need to rebuild um, because currently it, it says that I'm a freelance uh, web developer, which I don't do anymore. Uh, and, uh, and then, of course, thereafter, uh, all, you know, that's across all channels as well. Thereafter right. podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, You're on you Clubhouse too, right? Corlin Coffee too? Yep. Yep. Okay. Also on Clubhouse. Uh, and I, I love Clubhouse. It's such a time intensive platform. Yes, that's true. <laughs> that I'm only on there. Um, usually you can guarantee I'm on there on Thursday nights because that's my favorite time. <laughs> it's to the on only there. time on there too. So we'll go ahead and plug that because a lot of our guests, spoiler alert, Cortland, are from that group. Cool. Um, Progressive Christians group on Clubhouse. It's a very yes. large group, but some of the nicest people you'll ever meet. And it's not just Christians. That's right. Me and Cortland aren't Christian, and yet a lot of our friends are in the yep. Progressive Christians group. And so you can find us Thursday nights at 11 Eastern. 
So whatever other time you figure out your time zone, I'm not going to do the math for you. I didn't do well in math. Um, <laughs> but uh, look it up. Um, and if you need to invite the clubhouse, um, you know, you can look any of us up. And I got plenty yeah. of advice to, to throw out. So just, just look us up. Anyway, Cortland Coffee, thank you so much for being on the program. This has been an absolute pleasure. I've had so much fun. And just thank you for just joining us and giving us your wisdom and your insight. Thanks, Ryan. I really appreciate you having me on. And this was this was a ton of fun. I appreciate you letting me ramble on here. <laughs> no, absolutely. It's, that's exactly what I wanted you to do. You did a great job. And um, thank you all so much for watching and for listening. And uh, remember, you have one life. Make the most of it. And we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone.